0: The Study of Christ, we're finishing it up today, Um, and next week we are going to begin Lesson 1 in Pneumatology. You guys remember what that weird word is? Pneumatology? Yeah, the study of the Spirit, because pneuma is what? What language? Greek. In Greek, yeah, it's the Greek word for air, wind, or spirit. Uh, it's the word that's used in reference to the Holy Spirit, and that's where we get our word uh, pneumatic and things like that. Or um, What's another word that's Pneumonia. like that? Pneumonia. 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 Yeah. Good, good, yeah. good. Okay. Pneumology. Very well. No. <laughs> not, not that one. <laughs> so, um, but today we are finishing this lesson uh, Jesus as Prophet, Priest, and King. Last week, we wrapped up the priest section speaking to how Jesus fulfilled the Aaronic priesthood by entering the eternal holy place and making peace with God once for all by his own blood. And he fulfilled the Melchizedek priesthood by being the eternal ruler of the universe, who, after making his offering, is our priest forever. And remember this quote from John John Frame? Such a good quote. What is the resurrected Christ doing right now? He is interceding at the Father's right hand. Even now, He is thinking of us, bringing our needs to the Father's attention. Of course, Scripture also speaks of the Holy Spirit's interceding. The two persons act in unity to bring the believer's needs before God's great throne of grace. The Father willingly hears the intercession of His Son and His Spirit. The bottom line is that we can be sure that the Father will withhold no good thing from us. The whole Trinity is on our side. God is of one mind on our behalf, and if God be for us, who can be against us? Great quote. That's a good one. All right, so now we're going to talk about Jesus as king. I think we got into this a little bit last week. How far did we get last week? I'm assuming we covered these verses, Isaiah 9, Matthew 2... We cover those? John 12, 13. Yep, good, okay. So this will just be a little bit of a recap then. Um, the big idea that you're going to have to understand for today's lesson, the big idea is that there is an already, not yet, aspect to the kingship of Christ. So, if I asked you, is Jesus king? You would say very quickly and very confidently,
1: yes.
0: Okay. Now, if I said... Has Jesus' kingdom fully come and been realized on the face of the earth? You would say, no. No. Okay. Just as confident as the first answer, right. So it's an already not yet aspect to his kingship, and it makes the doctrine a little bit difficult to grasp. But we're going to walk through it together. Last week we looked at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And where will the government be? On his shoulders. Yeah, it will rest on his shoulders. And to the increase of his government, there will be no end. Christ's kingdom is going to expand and increase. Are we seeing that fully realized right now? No, we're not. (laughs) No, we are not. Uh, So we need to talk through that. And we talked about Matthew 2.2 and John 12.13. Matthew 2.2 was when the wise men wanted to come see Jesus and they referred to him as the newborn. King, the newborn King, the King of the Jews. Yeah, in John 12, Jesus is coming in on Palm Sunday and they're saying, Hosanna in the highest, King of the Jews, King. For from the moment of his birth, Jesus was rightly called King. Now let's work through some other passages together. We also have to recognize that Jesus' status as King was rejected by men. Let's all turn to Matthew 27 together, the second to last chapter in the book of Matthew. Matthew 27, starting at verse 11. We were able to see uh, the Stucker family yesterday and that sweet little baby. They're all doing great. Everybody's doing really well. So thank you guys for caring for them and praying for them with both Dean and Jen, and I believe both children that were already out of the womb. Uh, all having COVID <laughs> during the last couple of weeks of the pregnancy, that was really complicated and a little scary. Uh, but the Lord was just so kind and showed them lots and lots of mercy. So uh, they're all home and doing great. It was, it was very happy to see that. So, All right, Matthew 27. Would someone read in verse 11? Who's got that? Matthew 27, 11. Go ahead.
2: Uh, meanwhile... Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus
0: replied. All right. Drop down to verse 29. Same chapter, verse 29. After twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. Wow. Verse 37. Who would read verse 37 for us? Okay, go ahead. And above his head
1: they put up the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus,
0: the king of the Jews. Alright, so we started off by saying, by looking at the verse where Jesus said, It is as you say. He is king. And then they mock him. But that doesn't change his actual status. Just because they mocked him in that way, that doesn't mean he wasn't king. He truly is king from the moment of his birth. This fact that they mocked him doesn't make it any less correct to acknowledge him as king However, it is clear that He did not establish an earthly kingdom in the fullest sense. When you go back and look at the Old Testament prophecies, uh, we just barely touched on Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. But you can look also in Zechariah, talks about this pretty explicitly. In other passages that refer to the end, the day of the Lord, the coming Messiah who was going to establish justice and righteousness. That kingdom has not been fully realized yet. Okay. Now, there's an already not yet, but it's not yet. Okay, We need to emphasize that just as much as we emphasize the already. Third thing to note, Christ's church refers to him as king. Christ's church makes reference to him as king. Would someone grab Acts 17, verses 5 to 8, and then someone else get 1 Timothy 1.17. Okay, Jerry's got 1 Timothy 1.17. Who's got Acts 17? 5 through 8. Acts 17, 5 to 8. Thank you, Walker. The Church of Jesus Christ, the real one, not the uh, registered trademark in Utah. The real Church of Jesus Christ refers to Jesus as King. It's what we do, uh, it's what we've done, it's what we'll continue to do. All right? Um, now, these are both a bit dynamic, and we'll talk through them one at a time. So, Acts 17, Five to eight this is early church being persecuted. Go ahead, Walker.
1: But the Jews
3: became jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob and set the city upward. and attacking the house of Jason they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began bragging or dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities shouting, "These men who have upset the world have come here also and Jason has welcomed them." And they all act contrary to the decree of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They
0: stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things and went. Oh. Okay, yeah, that's good. So the the early church is being persecuted. They're being dragged out and put before the public courts, and they said these Christians are saying there's someone besides Caesar who is king. Now, certainly the Christians were falsely accused uh, on many occasions. They were they were accused of. Um, all sorts of strange things. They had love feasts is what they were called back then where they would come together and have communion and have Christian fellowship. And the world said they were having orgies. That's what those love feasts were, making them look like this wicked, perverted group. Um, they would you know, have communion where they remembered the body and blood of Christ. And people would say they're cannibals. They're eating body and drinking blood. Okay, so they're falsely accused all the time. But I don't think in Acts 17, where they're being accused of saying there's another king, I don't think that's a false accusation. <laughs> I think the church was very boldly proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Caesar's not Lord. He's not king. Jesus is Lord and king. He is king of kings, right? We have that testimony in Scripture. So that was the early church's message. And then 1 Timothy 1.17, a good memory verse. Go ahead, Jerry.
2: Now to the king eternal, immortal. Invisible,
0: the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. <laughs> Immortal, invisible. Okay, all right. We won't break up in a song, I guess. Uh, uh, but um, yeah, this verse is an interesting verse. It, it's not directed toward one specific person of the Trinity. However, the context of 1 Timothy 1, uh, is talking about Jesus. Um, it could be that he has switched and has been talking about the father in this verse, but it seems most likely that it's not directed to one person of the Trinity for a purpose, that this applies to God, the triune God in totality. So when we think of immortal, invisible, uh, the only king forever and ever, eternal, um, that applies just as much to Jesus as it does to the father. Um, Jesus is king. Jesus currently has his own kingly throne, and I'll give you a moment to write those down and to ask any questions you might have before we start looking at those specifically. Uh, but Jesus is a king, declared by his church, declared by Scripture, and he has his own kingly throne, and we'll examine those together. But Any thoughts or questions while people are jotting stuff down? Where it's going to get real hairy is when we try to figure out if this throne is the Davidic throne or a different throne. That's where things get a little complicated, if they haven't been complicated for you already. Everybody have a good week this week? Everybody doing okay? Good? I just didn't watch TV this week. Uh, that's, that'll make your week better. Yeah. <laughs> that's for certain. You want to have a better week? Unplug the TV. Don't go to foxnews.com. Don't go to drudgereport.com. Don't go to any of those. Just live in, live in the bubble God has given you. And steward those things well. <laughs> All right, <laughs> That's it. good advice for these days. <clears throat> Well, let's, uh, let's begin together. We'll look at not every one of these, but the ones we'll look at together, we will look at together. So Luke 22, Luke chapter 22. It's a big chapter, isn't it? We're going to look at verse 69, Luke 22. Oh. Luke. Okay. Let's start back at verse 66. This is Jesus standing before the Jewish court, the Jewish Supreme Court. And would someone read verses 66 to 71? 66 to 71. Who's got that? Logan, go
2: ahead. One day came the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said... If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. (laughs) Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips.
0: All right. They were pressing to get an answer from Jesus. Will you confess to being King of kings and Lord of lords, the Messiah, the Son of God? And uh, Jesus kind of going at their presuppositions there, isn't he? When he says, well, if I tell you, you won't believe. You've ruled it out. You've presupposed that it can't be the case. You've ruled it out. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. And then he makes his declaration there in verse 69. The Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And the Son of Man, does he, seat, uh, does he sit on anything but a throne now that he's ascended into heaven? No. no if, he's seated, if he's seated as King of Kings, you better believe it's on a throne, right? Now, uh, don't... Don't make it to be something like, well, that means it's a real gaudy chair. That's what makes a throne. It doesn't make it a throne uh, by what it looks like. Uh, It matters who's sitting in it. That's what makes it a throne. So it could look like a folding chair. And if Jesus is sitting in it, it's a throne because he's the king. Um, Let's move forward to Ephesians. Ephesians 1. We'll look at these two references in Ephesians.
3: In that last passage, do you make any significance of the phrase from now on?
0: Um. Well, let me let me back up. <laughs> from but from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Yes. Yeah, so there's this would be a good moment to cross reference to Hebrews one three. I don't have that one in this particular list. But after making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So there is something to the after redemption. He's seated at the right hand of God to signify that redemption is complete. Um, I believe that's what would be in reference there when he says from now on. But, yeah. That's that's all I got for that. Unless you have any other thoughts to add. Ephesians 1.20. Let's back up to 19. The surpassing greatness, verse 19, of His power toward us who believe... These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. And now, so have that in your mind. So stop right there before you go to two six. Have that locked into your mind after Jesus accomplished redemption as He was the Savior of the world in obedience to the Father, went to the cross, Uh, You know, he was shamed, he was scorned, died in our place for our sins, rose again, ascended into heaven, and now he is in a really good place or the best place? The best, right? The most privileged position. The most honorable position. Where else would Jesus be, right? Have that in your mind now. Chapter 2, verse 6. What has happened to us as Christians when we got saved? We were raised up with Christ, and not just that, we were seated with Him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. So we just said, where Jesus is now is the most privileged place. Where else would He be? And that's where you are too. Spiritually, positionally, that's where you are. One of my favorite, favorite verses to share with Mormons, because, of course, Mormons separate salvation and exaltation, right? We're all saved, Jesus saved all of us through His atonement. But now we have to walk the covenant path toward exaltation. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says from the moment you believe, you are in the most privileged place in the entire universe. And no one can take you away. Isn't that incredible? Absolutely astonishing. Alright, so Jesus is seated on His throne at the right hand of God. Uh, let's jump to Hebrews 8: 1 Hebrews chapter 8 <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1 someone read that for us okay hey. <clears throat> the
2: point of what we are saying is this we do have such a high priest. Who sat down at the right hand of the throne
0: of the majesty in heaven? All right. So we have a high priest, and that's what we've been talking about the, last week, especially, how Jesus is priest, right? So he's our great high priest fulfilling all the priesthoods of the covenantal system, the Levitical system. And not only that, but he's seated on a throne in the most privileged position at the right hand of God. He's a king. He's not just a priest, he's a king. That's that Melchizedek priesthood stuff, that he's not just a priest, he's a priest and a king. right? And then let's all go to Revelation together. Revelation 3, this is the most explicit, the end of the chapter, Revelation 3. And let's do 20 to 22, the last three verses of that chapter. Who would read Revelation 3, 20 to 22? Who's got it? Go ahead, Lisa. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens
1: the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and be with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as they also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. He who has an ear to hear, let me hear what the Spirit says hmm. to the church.
0: Okay. He who overcomes. Jesus invites to sit down with him on his throne just as Jesus overcame and sat down with the Father on his throne. (laughs) No questions about that, right? Clear. Uh, Pretty pretty amazing. We're not going to nail down every detail about that on this side of heaven. Uh, Especially not today, but not on this side of heaven, I don't think, because we just don't have a ton of detail as to what this looks like, how this plays out. But it's important to recognize Jesus says very plainly, he has sat down on his throne. It's his throne. Jesus is ruling and reigning currently as king, and who does he rule and reign over? That's a dynamic question. It begs a dynamic answer. Who does Jesus rule over and reign over?
1: Everything.
0: Ever. 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 That's right. Okay. But not 100. Yeah. Okay, all right, already, not yet, yes, that's right. All right, so um, explain that just a little more, Jerry.
2: Well, it's, it's fulfillment of reigning over the unbelievable world comes when he returns, the like second
0: coming. Yeah, that Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 prophecy, the government resting on his shoulders. Will Jesus literally be on the earth with the throne? Yes. Yes, he will. Will there be literally, what happened? no. Oh. <laughs> Quite literally, will there be all people on the face of the earth in full submission to King Jesus on the earth? Yes. And that hasn't happened yet. In fact, it's in a pretty extreme minority of those who bow the knee to Jesus right now on the face of the earth, isn't it? So already, not yet. Now, where does he rule and reign? In what sphere does he rule and reign 100% right now? In the church. That's right. In the church, Jesus is king. We proclaim him as king, and all that we do is in service to the king. We submit to the king. But even then, because of sin in the world, it's not perfect. But we recognize fully in that sphere, 100% his kingship. Okay? Thoughts on that? Questions?
3: Yeah, and in either, realm, either in church or the world, uh, when we're not submitting to him as king, that doesn't negate his kingship at all.
0: Like uh, that.
2: Yeah, it doesn't mean he's not in control of all things.
0: Right, he's still holding the universe together by his power, Um, and he has dominion over angels and principalities, things visible and invisible. Right. He just—he is king. Yes. He
2: just hasn't enforced his full authority.
0: Well, and in the sphere of the world, he's not recognized as king. Not
1: recognized.
0: In the sphere of the church, he's fully recognized as king. Um, Yeah. Okay. Good. Christians will disagree. Oh, okay. Before we get into that, because uh, that's a little more of a doozy. Go ahead. Yeah, You're saying
2: fear of the
3: church. Yes. Why don't we say churches?
0: Because there's two ways that we can reference the church. Uh, there's big C church and lowercase C church.
2: Uh, I'm just saying there in Revelations uh, 3.22 at the end it
0: says, Yep. Yeah, he says in the churches. Yep. And what churches does it specifically have in mind? <clears throat> um, the ones from chapters 2 and 3, right? Yeah, true. Which is the seven churches. There are many different views on what that means. Um, we're not going to get into interpreting that. because I'm not prepared for that right now. <laughs> and even if I did prepare, I probably wouldn't have an exact answer for you. But uh, for a general perspective, What's the difference between these two things? Uh, We haven't gotten into this in our ecclesiology segment yet, but what do you guys know about this? Shout some things out. The local church is part of the church universal. Okay, so part of the universal church. We're a subset, I guess. The universal church is all believers. Yep. All believers. Everywhere all the time? Yep. Um. Oops. You could say. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, you could say everywhere, all the time. In most references, we are talking about the present moment, yeah. right? But yeah, I mean, the church is all believers everywhere.
3: What else? Uh, it's also called
0: visible and invisible. Okay. And why is it called invisible over here? Because we don't know who
3: is a part of the universal church. There can be uh, false converts who proclaim there in Christ, but.
1: Reality there not. Yeah. Okay. Let's do one more thing. It
0: will never end. Okay. Unconquerable. This one will never end. That's correct. What about the other one? <laughs> we call them church plants for a reason. <laughs> they're planted, they grow, and they die, don't they? Point to one local church that has existed maintaining their confession from the time of Christ until now. Don't think you can find one. Churches are planted, they grow, they die. That's what happens. They get yeah, that's it. They get infected. Um, so that's a difference between church, uh, universal, and local churches. And where it says Jesus is king of the capital C church, that's what's in mind, right here. Good. Anything else? All right. Christians will disagree as to whether or not Jesus is currently ruling as king. And this is in particular in reference to the Davidic throne. What I believe is that Jesus is spiritually ruling over the church as king and shepherd. This rule will be fully realized in physical form in the millennium when the disciples rule with him. And that's uh, Matthew 19, is the reference to the disciples asking Jesus, uh, Hey, we've left everything and followed you. What's in it for us? (laughs) And instead of rebuking them, Jesus gives them a straight answer. And he says, In the regeneration or in the new birth of the world, you will be ruling and reigning. Those who have followed me will be reigning with me, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Amazing. Amazing uh, teaching there. But... Is Jesus ruling currently as king? Yes, of course he is. Um, he's king. He's also shepherd. And it will be fully realized in physical form later. And that's what we've been saying. Already, not yet. Okay? Already happening, but it's not yet fulfilled totally, as we read about the prophecies in the Old Testament. Um, more things to look at. If you flip to Matthew, you did a good job. We're going to look at Matthew together. Matthew chapter 4. Let's turn there. Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus introduced his kingdom. Would someone read verses 17 and 23 of Matthew 4? Matthew 4, not 17 through 23, 17 and 23. Who can get that for us? You got
3: it. Okay. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people.
0: right? The kingdom of heaven's at hand. That's how Jesus starts his ministry, and then he goes along in his teaching about the kingdom. And then in 12:28, Matthew 12 verse28, uh, Jesus says, "If I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you." Interesting. The kingdom of God has come. King of God's come upon you. He claimed that all authority belongs to him. And this is really important. The very end of the book, Matthew's letter, where he's teaching what Jesus commissioned us to do. And before Jesus says, Go make disciples of all nations, what did he say? All authority belongs to me. And in what spheres? In heaven and? On earth. On earth. Some authority on earth, but all authority in heaven, right? All authority in heaven and all authority on earth. That was Jesus' proclamation of his kingship. He is the king of heaven. He's the king of earth. He has all authority in both realms. He says he's king. That's why he could commission the disciples, because he's king of kings and lord of lords. A king commissions his servants. Jesus made it very clear to Pilate that though he is king, his kingdom is not of this world. And we'll look at this together and then pause for more questions and discussion. But John 18, let's all turn there together. John chapter 18, verses 33 to 40. John 18, starting at verse 33. Would someone read this section for us? John 18, 33 to 40.
1: Okay. Okay. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom were of this world then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not in this realm. Okay, let's
0: pause right there for a moment. Jesus, of course, very clearly saying, my kingdom. You only possess a kingdom if you're king. And he refers to his followers as what? Servants. Servants. His servants. He possesses those servants. Okay, and... His kingdom is not of this realm. makes that very clear. All right, continue.
1: Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at Passover. You wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews. So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber.
0: All right, so now going back to the statement I made here, Jesus is spiritually ruling over the church as king and shepherd. Um, his kingdom's not of this physical realm yet. Uh But there will come a day when his kingdom is fully realized in physical form. Jesus is saying here to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this realm. Okay, thoughts, questions on any of that? So the question that
2: Pilate asked him, what is Mm truth? Is that a rhetorical question?
0: There are different takes on that. Because some people believe Pilate's mocking him. What is truth? You know, that sort of thing. Some people believe it's a genuine question. We don't know. Uh, we don't see an answer. Yeah, we don't really see an answer there, right? So uh, I lean on the side of uh, mocking, but I'm hopeful that it was the side of sincerity. Uh, we'll find out one day. Yeah
3: seems to me like he was walking back in 35, too, and he says, I'm not a Jew, am I? Yeah. So that same kind of... He had a little bit of a tood.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a Jew, and I don't want to be a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A more I don't want to
0: be. Yep. The thoughts or questions on that passage or kingship of Christ before moving to the next slide? Okay. Does
2: Pilate have any clue what he means? My kingdom is not of this world. Being a believer, I can't imagine he would. It's just words in his ears. Right. He didn't give a thought process, actually.
0: Yeah, and Pilate's mind is probably, okay, this man's a lunatic. Uh, This man thinks he's some sort of a king. Uh, Pilate probably ruled out uh, many biblical truths. Uh, from the unseen realm, <laughs> you know he, he probably didn't give any credence to principalities and powers and things of that nature, or perhaps even the human soul. Uh, so Pilate's probably just thinking, "No, oh, this guy's loco." I don't know if Spanish existed then; probably not. Uh, this guy is whatever the Greek word is for crazy, and uh, and probably just ruled all that out. Yeah. You know? So as we consider the offices of Christ. His fulfillment of these offices happen in different ways. And that's what we've been studying. Prophet, priest, king. We're finishing it up here. Prophet, priest, king. When it comes to Jesus as prophet, past, present, or future fulfillment? Jesus as, capital P, prophet. Okay. Fulfillment in the past. Yet there is a present effectiveness, right? Because we have the Gospels preserved for us. Jesus' own words preserved for us. As we read them... We understand his ministry, we're affected by his prophetic ministry, but the fulfillment, of course, is past. Priest. Past and present. Because what was his great act as priest? Yeah, being nailed to the cross right? Dying in our place for our sins. That is fulfilled in the past. He's not crucified again, yet we recognize his ongoing intercessory ministry. Remember that? Propitiation, past. The intercessory ministry continues. And then, of course, kingship, past, present, and future. (laughs) Uh, All three for kingship. Uh, And it's most explicitly in the future. Now, I don't have a slide about this, and I I made a note about it. Uh, The Davidic throne. Why is the Davidic throne Aspect and, and Davidic is just a word that means in reference to David. Why is the Davidic adjective before throne important when we talk about Jesus ruling on a throne? Um, why why does it matter if it's David's throne or not? What's this whole thing? What's the foundation for that whole discussion, Andy? Well,
1: it was a it was a promise that David's kin and his heir would sit on the throne. Forever,
0: it's a it's a it's a covenant promise. Yeah, covenant, right? Do you do you know the two passages? Anybody in the room know the two passages in the Old Testament that reference the Davidic throne? You guys need to know these. Write them down. Second Samuel seven, Second Samuel chapter seven, and Psalm eighty nine. Second Samuel seven. That's where it's most detailed. That's where the initial promise was given by God to David. And then Psalm 89, written by David, reaffirming those promises that God had made to him. Now, those, uh, those thrones from David's line, um, those were physical, right? Physical thrones. And physical kingdoms on the face of the earth, in Israel. Who inherited David's throne initially solomon Solomon, his son solomon and then solomon had children and everything kind of fell apart they didn't get out of of the gate very far before they stumbled things start splitting and kingdoms die etc now when jesus comes back he is going to inherit that throne that kingdom will be restored physically on the earth that is going to happen we see that in a future millennial reign of christ but is he currently ruling as the Davidic king? I say yes. Some people say no. I say yes in an already not yet aspect still. There's more fulfillment to it. Okay, I don't say yes. He's reigning as the Davidic heir right now. Period. End of story. Uh, like I just said, he's going to come back and rule physically on the earth. And that will be the full fulfillment. Right now it's just a partial fulfillment. But if we ignore the Davidic aspect of Christ's throne of Christ's kingship, of how He's ruling and reigning now, um, we're disconnecting Scripture quite a bit. We're separating things out quite a bit, compartmentalizing things. And there's a lot more touching going on in Scripture than we like to think sometimes. Where this covenant interacts with this reality, (laughs) and there's there's an aspect of fulfillment, but it's not complete yet. And anytime we want to wait until everything is totally full and we discount the already not yet aspect, we can... I don't know. We could start to slice scripture up a little bit where it's not meant to be sliced. So I just want to put that out there, though there are all kinds of views on this. Um, I'm a progressive dispensationalist, for those of you who are looking for names to call me. And uh, (laughs) there's this book written by Craig Blazing and Daryl Bach. Does a very good job. This this book really shaped my understanding of these types of issues. And uh, anyway, this does a very good job treating the Davidic throne issue currently, what Jesus is doing. So, don't know if we even want to explore that anymore or if you're saying, uh, wow, let's move on. But uh, Tyler raised his hand and then Melissa, so we'll just see where this goes. (laughs) Do
3: you think that Jesus was reigning prior to the crucifixion and incarnation on the Davidic throne?
0: In what aspect?
3: Any.
0: Yes. Um, So, Jesus... (laughs) And it gets, gets a little complicated, right? But Jesus is God, okay? We can start with the simple truth statement. Jesus is God. Part and parcel to deity is rulership, right? Authority. Being in charge. <laughs> Being the creator, capital C, creator. Um, we see in the Old Testament in the Christophanies, in the times when Jesus spoke to, to Israel, um, the times that he gave orders, he was in charge. So in in all of those ways, yes, he was reigning. Yet there wasn't a at the right hand of God aspect like there is after redemption is accomplished. There is no sitting at the right hand. Um, Scripture, especially Hebrews, but there are various references in the New Testament where we see that it was after Jesus made purification for sins that he sat down at the right hand of God. There was no church to be king over before that moment. So the kingship in the church, the ruling and reigning, sitting at the right hand of God, didn't happen until his death and the inauguration of the church.
3: What about the Davidic throne aspect?
0: The Like yes, reigning. Oh, I see. Was Jesus reigning as the Davidic heir? No, I think the incarnation is essential to that. Um, Before the incarnation, uh, that couldn't have been the case for a variety of reasons. would
1: an alternate view be that he's only ruling on the Davidic throne when Israel is submitting to him because
0: yeah so the um, within dispensationalism the the main view uh, truly uh, the primary understanding is that when he returns and all of Israel is saved in that future millennium that's when he takes his position as the Davidic king um, until that point, uh, we can't say that he's ruling as an heir of David. The, the whole Davidic kingship is wrapped up in on-earth political type of reign. Whereas progressive dispensationalism, my personal view, sees it's broader than just the on-earth political aspect. There's a spiritual aspect in the church where it's happening. Not saying the church is Israel, uh, however... Again, there's a little more touching going on with our doctrines than we like. We like really clean lines and breaks and the keeping things separate. Um, and separation is important in a lot of ways. Israel's not the church. We have to keep those two entities separate. Yet, there's also there, there's some touching. No other way to really explain it. It's more confusing than we like to admit.
2: Jerry. Kingship. Yeah. In regards to that, it was recognized as back when Saul was first appointed king. So kingship, kings became of um, uh, the Jews. So knowing that Jesus, he's sovereign, all-powerful. Yeah. So in relationship to the church, does it really define the fact that he has to be a king when he's already more powerful hmm. than a king? He's God.
0: Yeah, his kingship, just like the... Office of prophet and the office of priest. His kingship is tied in uh, to prophecy really tightly. So when the covenant made to David, for example, David is told and prophets that followed him were told the branch of Jesse, the the root of Jesse or the branch of, yeah, branch of Jesse, I think is the most common one. Um, The capital B branch is going to come. There was a prophecy about the one who was going to come from that line who would be the one to fulfill this covenant given to David. So it's a covenant fulfillment more than it is a declaration of status, though it's both. Jesus has always been in charge. Jesus has always been king. The Son of God is forever, and he's forever in charge. Eternity past, eternity future. Uh, Yet the covenant fulfillment has to take place in time. The covenant fulfillment has to take place with physical aspects.
2: But does King more, I guess relate to more to the Jews than it does to us.
0: Yeah. In that sense of the word. Yeah. Because, I'd say all of these uh, do. Uh, when he comes yeah. in,
2: he will be king. Right. But he's also God.
0: Yes. He rules
2: period. Yeah. And the kingship is only in relation to, him, to the Jews to connect him to them. Well, yeah. In that sense of the words, because that's what the Bible says to them mm-hmm. specifically.
0: This is one of the difficulties that we have as Gentiles being grafted in. Romans 11 talks about this, right? Israel's the natural olive, olive tree. And we're the wild branch. <laughs> I, know, I know a lot of your backgrounds. You're wild branches, right? And we come together to make one big wild branch. And we're grafted into this tree. And uh, the promises that were made to Israel, I mean, the New Covenant promise, the New Covenant That was made in Jeremiah. It's referenced in Ezekiel. It's referenced in several prophets. Who was that made to? Who was the promise made to? To the Jews, to Israel. It wasn't made to Gentiles. But then when Jesus comes, in his grace, we are allowed to be grafted in and to partake. Out of the two, he has made one new man, Ephesians chapter 2 says. See the touching going on? touching this is what my theology professor did it's just in my head Uh, that's the way i've always remembered it so so there's there's things going on where israel and the church are separate but we're also sharing in the same new covenant because we we have the savior jesus christ they have the messiah jesus christ same person and so we share in that um now how far do israel's promises extend to the church that's a, a great debate and we'll get into that um But we know that he is king of the church. You look at Jason that Walker read for us back in Acts 17. Jason in the early church being persecuted. Um, There were Gentiles in that early church making reference to Jesus as king. Over and against Caesar as king. And that's our testimony that we maintain. In our culture, at all times, we proclaim Jesus is king. Donald Trump isn't king. Joe Biden isn't king. Jesus is king and and we have to maintain that position. Plus and I think it's really
1: neat that in the Old Testament prophecy there were like there were promises that all the nations would be blessed through him yep. so regardless of Yeah, that's what you, Abraham,
0: that's the very first, yeah, the very first covenant, Abrahamic promise or not very first covenant, but the first covenant um, that really outlined what Jesus was going to do in in greater detail. Genesis 12:3. Blessing to the nations. Sorry, but yeah. Oh,
1: just that, like, regardless of where you stand on how much the church partakes, we are blessed. Yes. That was promised from the beginning.
0: Yes, absolutely. All the nations through the seed of Abraham are blessed. All right, let's ask some questions here. How does Jesus' fulfillment of the office of prophets, to switch gears a little bit, office of prophets get, prophet, give us confidence? Jesus' fulfillment as of the office of prophet. Give us confidence. Is there any confidence you can derive from the fact that Jesus is the capital P, prophet, who fulfills that office? And if there is some confidence, what is it? It's Deuteronomy 18. <laughs> if he proclaims
1: the word of God, it's going to come to pass. Uh-huh. It's, it's as factual as the rising of the sun of the East and setting the West. There's
0: no question whether or not it's
1: going to happen. Yeah. That means everything Jesus said, everything he promised, will absolutely be true. Yeah. Like did not read.
0: Right. We don't look at uh, his Olivet Discourse. That's Matthew 24 and 25, where he's talking about end times. We don't read that and think, oh, you know, there's a chance that this will happen. When he says the Son of Man will return, he'll be coming on the clouds, the host of angels with him, that's going to happen. Are we looking for another prophet? In the, in the end, in Revelation, there will be some. But as, going, I guess thinking back to what Andy was saying, Deuteronomy 18, when Moses said, there will be one like me who comes, listen to him. Are we waiting for that person to show up? No, we're not, right? Jesus has come. He's fulfilled that office. We're not waiting for someone to fulfill the, the office. Okay? We have confidence in what he said. We have confidence that it's finished. Not just his work of redemption on the cross, but the prophet was to come. That office fulfilled. How does Jesus' fulfillment of the office of priest give us comfort? Think back to, I think I had on the board, propitiation on this side and intercession on this side. How does that give us comfort? Comfort.
2: is the priest, he is the fulfillment of the office of priest in the sense that all our sins are laid upon through him -hmm. in the fact of what he did as the type priest that he is, and he does intercession for us, Mm -hmm. which is a great thing because we had no power, we had no voice Mm to call Almighty. When before his completion, and what he did. So, his fulfillment of the office of the priest is a foundational part of, of what we believe
1: mm-hmm. in the hope that
2: we have, because without it, we have no hope in that sense, because we, we can plead, but does God hear us? Yeah. But we know that the call of Jesus and what He did as a priest, we know that He hears us and He receives
0: us. And you started that by saying all our sins, even our future ones, huh? Mm -hmm. So what Jesus did took care all of our sins. We're not looking for another sacrifice. That should comfort you, (laughs) even the sins you haven't thought about committing yet, taken care of. Pretty wild.
2: Yeah
1: remove the penalty of
0: death. Yeah, very good. To those that trust him. There is no punishment. That's,
1: that's, a, that's what it's
0: all about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how, how free are we now? Our, our, your spirit is so free, knowing that there's no punishment. He bore the full punishment that you deserve. Now it's done. That's comforting. How does Jesus' fulfillment of the office of king give us a sense of duty? Confidence, comfort, sense of duty in relation to his kingship. Okay, yep, you don't belong to yourself. Remember in, uh, they're in the middle of the John 18 passage we were looking at. I think it was verse 36 or 37. Yeah, we are his servants. He says, my servants. We don't belong to ourselves, we belong to him. Andy? He
1: calls us to obedience. He's a king. We owe him our
0: allegiance our fidelity. We owe him a bowing of the knee. We owe him our lives. We owe him everything. So that, that word owe, there's an obligation there, isn't there? And not out of making anything up to him, not out of earning anything, but out of what is given. A love obligation. If you understand that he is the prophet, priest, and king then there's a love, there's a natural obligation that follows. Anything else? Hmm. Is he a good king? Hmm. Hmm. I mean, there, there are people throughout America's history, but I would say especially in the last 20 years, people who have served in the military, who are probably wondering, why are we over here? Why am I in this place right now doing what I'm doing? (laughs) Uh, Because there are rulers over him who have told him, this is your duty, go do this. And we can have fierce debates as to whether or not we should be involved in this conflict, in this country, at this time. But when it comes to Jesus's commission for us and for what he calls us to do, he is perfectly good in all of that. And there is no questioning of why are we here doing this at this time? Because he's a good king. He only gives good orders. <laughs> he only gives good commissions. Therefore, we have a sense of duty to our good king. Melissa?
1: The prophecy that says the increase of, this government, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. I was reading that just recently and thinking, like, how increase of government kind of gives us all the heebie-jeebies. Like, we hate government <laughs> overreach.
0: Because we're Americans, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But, uh, but how beautiful and amazing how much we long for Jesus's government to increase
0: Think like how perfect and wonderful that will be yep yep the word government isn't a bad word is it we hear increase of government as americans and we think well not if we start a war <laughs> we could stop that increase real quick that's just what we think uh and we've probably been thinking that a lot in the last couple weeks um but government isn't inherently a bad word when jesus is the capital g governor in charge of the whole thing We should long to be in submission to that government. We should long to be a part of that country, of that place. Right, so next week, we are going to begin pneumatology. Pneumatology, lesson number one, study of the Holy Spirit. There aren't as many lessons uh, for that section. I think there are three PowerPoints, so it might take us five weeks or something of that nature. Uh, We'll see, but that's what we're gonna get into for the next one to two months, the study of the Holy Spirit. Okay. any thoughts or questions as we conclude Andrew
1: so my mom always said that what we need is the nine dictator of the nine king um, that's what we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about Christ right mm-hmm. because we look at all these fallen humans that are in us and we know that they are wrong like we are. Yeah. And that they are driven by greed and corruption just as much as we are. Yep. We're looking for a spotless king. Yeah. One that has our best interests in his heart and his mind. Mm-hmm. I, when we were talking about priests I'm we reading that book, Gentleman Lowly, and I, I can't over-recommend that book
0: enough. No. It's fantastic. It's not just that Christ is interceding.
1: It's that he wants, longs to intercede for his people.
0: Our sin yeah, he's not doing it out of a sense of pure duty. No, it's yeah. his inner longing. It's yeah. his heart. Yeah, it's
1: amazing.
0: It is. It really, really is. And that should be our desire to serve him, an inner longing. Isn't that
1: part of the Vedic covenant? David was the most beloved. People just literally loved him, mm-hmm. when I read. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, that kind of went downhill. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yep. <laughs> but the ideal was to have. He was so loved as king. Yeah. That people wanted to serve David. They. They. They, they enjoyed mm-hmm. life under this
0: kingship. And we are awaiting the return of a king better than David. Better than hmm. David. Okay. Well, let me pray for us, and then we'll. Head over to the other room. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you truly are Lord of Lords. You are King of Kings, and we ask that you would infuse this truth into our hearts deeper and deeper. That we would have a better understanding of your kingship in all areas of life. That we would, with pure sincere hearts, seek to serve you as your servants. Give us a an appropriate vision, an appropriate understanding for the world around us, and for the future. That we would have our hope wrapped up in you alone and in no fallen man, woman, or collection of people. That we would have our hope in you alone, this hope that no one can take away from us because we belong to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Ask your blessing on the rest of this service. Give us just a really fun singing time, a really encouraging time of singing, and have us to understand the scriptures better in 1 Corinthians 5 as we look into that also. Thank you so much for what you've done, what you are doing in the present moment, and what you are going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.